Do you want to unlock exclusive features, fun sneak peeks, and get cool goodies straight to your mailbox? Join the Pasty Tapes fan club. Starting at just $3 a month, you can get more of the Pasty Tapes. Visit thepastytapes.com to join the Pasty Tapes fan club now. Oh, hello! This is Blanche Debris, and you're listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Pasty Tapes. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, recording live from my bedroom in Chicago. I am testing out new equipment, so if this episode sounds different, that is why. This week, I'll be at Front Row Paul's Burlesque Bonanza in Indianapolis, Indiana at the White Rabbit Cabaret, March 6th and 7th. I'll be performing Friday night, and I'll be doing interviews on Saturday. So if you see me, please say hello and talk to me about your Bonanza experience. Okay, let's jump into today's episode. I first saw today's guest live and in person performing at the Burlesque Hall of Fame in 2019. I remember the beginning of their act super distinctly, their silhouette, the lighting, the smoke, all of it. I was so intrigued and I wanted to know everything, everything about them. Lucky for me, I was able to get to know a little bit about this performer through my dear friend, Aria Delanoche. Aria was one of today's guest mentees, and Aria, of course, is a burlesque superstar in her own right. If you don't know about Aria, you are missing out, so go back to episode 7 and take a listen to her episode. Aria and today's guest sat down to record this interview last summer. This guest is an award-winning performer, producer, teacher, and entrepreneur. Her burlesque performances are high fashion and high drama coded in eroticism. She was voted number one in Canada's most influential burlesque performers in 21st Century Burlesque Magazine's Top 10 of Canada in 2019. She's the co-founder and director of Academy Arabesque Burlesque in Montreal. This is a conversation I am so, so, so excited to share with you. My guest today is a tall glass of badass, the Lady Josephine. Hi, Pasty Tapes. I am Aria Delanoche, and I'm here today talking with the Lady Josephine, one of Canada's and the world's most incredible burlesque performers, and also my mentor. Hi, Josephine. Hi, Sugar Muffin. How you doing? <laughs> I'm great. I'm so happy to be here with you. I think it's really cool that we get to talk in the wake of me uh, talking about you to show my for an hour and a half. Full circle. <laughs> Full circle is the theme. I didn't cry while listening to that, I swear. <laughs> I cry about you daily. Yeah, I mean, our relationship began when you took Sugar Vixen and I under your wing, and we met weekly to work on various projects and with the general like motive to strengthen our work and further our careers. And it's very clear, the proof is in the pudding, that you are a super powerful mentor, and I still quote you all the time. Um, but I want to hear about what mentorship was like for you. You know, it seems like it's played a big role in your life, and I'd love to hear you talk about it. When I decided to, as you say, take you and Sugar under my wing, I had no idea what I was getting into. I mean, at the time, do you remember? I pulled you to the side at the Capiam, the speakeasy bar where we both perform. And what I explained was that I was planning on stopping performing. And so the reason that I wanted to share all that I had learned with you is so that it wouldn't just disappear into the ether um, once I stopped. I guess overall what ended up happening is that mentorship inspired 
me, hopefully just as much as it inspired you, because I definitely didn't want to stop performing once we had been working together for a while. The back and forth that we had made me just want to create better work, made me realize that I had a lot of growing still to do. Because, of course, when you teach, it forces you to analyze Uh, your own process. And if you tell someone else that they need to have at least five really strong moments in their act, and then you look at your acts and you're like, hmm, maybe I should have five strong moments in this act. Wow, this gives me something that I really want to work on um, and get better. It had this amazing effect of making me want to continue my career. There was a lot of personal exploration for what I wanted to be my legacy that came out of being a mentor and continues to be. I think that part of me wanting to be a mentor is because I have quite intense death anxiety. So I'm going to be really really transparent. You know, in case there's other people listening who are also terrified of dying. Yeah. So wanting to make a mark, um, this idea of wanting to be well-known, even wanting to be famous in burlesque, people who really want to win awards and stuff. I would be surprised if a lot of that didn't come back to being scared of being forgotten when we're gone in burlesque. And it's something that we don't talk about very much, um, why we want to make things that last uh, in people's minds. So... Through mentorship, I was able to have this new way that I felt like I was leaving my mark on the world and passing on all of my knowledge so that, you know, when I die, <laughs> you and Sugar can march on my grave at your sparkling skills and talk about how Jean used to tell you to get your nails done, otherwise you won't be considered a real burlesque artist. Um, oh my gosh, that legacy is strong. My nail beds haven't breathed in weeks. Right? <laughs> I saw Sugar last night and her nails were longer than mine. That's how you know you've succeeded and you're free to die now. If my legacy is that people have really long stiletto nails, I will have done my job. Did it stop with me and Sugar or have you continued mentoring people in kind of a similar way? I have. Um, I have gone through um, two other pairs of mentees. I found that this trio, one, one thing that worked out super well is that the trio is the way to go. First of all, you guys aren't the only ones where it's fostered an incredible friendship between the two people I'm mentoring. Um, and that seems really special. So not only are they getting support from me, but they're getting support from this other, their peer that becomes a really close relationship with Miami Minx and Roxy Torpedo. We didn't work together for quite as long, but we did a lot of really interesting um, exploration and we were so much more efficient than when I was still learning with you and Sugar, you know, like, oh, we're hanging out and like, oh yes, today we are going to talk about our websites, but like nobody has actually done their homework and started building the website. So, <laughs> um, and so with Roxy and Miami, we were able to go through through things a lot more quickly. But what I realized, the big difference um, with them is that you and Sugar, for who knows what godforsaken reason, were willing to become career burlesque performers, which uh, is so rare and like just mental, a mental goal to have. Uh, whereas Roxy and Miami were still pursuing other things in their lives, right? So that forced me also to look at how I can be a mentor for people who don't want to do burlesque full time. Um, that has a really different flavor to it. And right now I'm mentoring um, two people that I'm very excited about. Um, Talia de la Crema and Petite Fleur. 
I'm convinced they're going to be the next best thing. <laughs> Amazing. That's so cool. So in addition to being a mentor individually, you also have classes at your school. Um, I want to talk about your school a little bit. And one of those reasons for that is because like most major cities have burlesque schools, but I've never seen one quite so involved and integrated with the local community as yours. Like obviously you teach classes and you host workshops from visiting performers and that's all amazing, but it doesn't stop there. You know, you do like community garage sales. You've done fundraisers for our local venue, the wiggle room. You do a lot of work in the community and, um, You've really dedicated your whole life to this school, you know, being somebody who has been in your life pretty heavily and is your friend. I can see how much financially, personally, and in terms of your time and your energy, you're pouring into not just the business of the school, but the entire Montreal burlesque community. Um, and I want to hear what that's like for you. I guess I have complicated feelings about it. So on the one hand, I'm an entrepreneur, so I have this spirit inside of me that wants to be my own boss, that wants to, again, uh, stomp around with big feet on this earth because I could die at any moment. And um, so that's a big motivation for establishing the business. And I'm really passionate about making it work. I like um, making sure that the finances make sense. I love uh, systems online that make it more efficient for our students to see what's happening and to register. Um, I really like the technical aspect behind it. I think it uses um, the other side of my brain. And then the the creative side um, gets to benefit from that. So, I mean, the school is what pays me like my day job. Um, I get to pay myself from the company as a teacher um, and as a director of the school. And then I get to invest that into my burlesque. Um, so it, it just practically, it's the only way that I could be doing this full time. Um, that's how it started. And then I discovered that teaching burlesque is being a therapist, uh, which I, I had no idea getting into it, you know, and that was a terrible role for me to fill at the beginning because I was very unsympathetic and impatient and I wanted people to just take burlesque very seriously because I was taking it so seriously and to fucking get it together and, you know, do a really good job taking off your glove for Christ's sake. <laughs> and then, you know, through the years I've used this playground to realize that that approach was not only not helpful for my students, but not helpful for me, and that there was reasons that I was being that kind of teacher that stem from my childhood. And, you know, why am I so obsessed with being perfect? Why am I placing that on other people? Not for healthy reasons, Ooh, right? Wow. So do you go to therapy? 100% go to therapy! Yay, yes. therapy! <laughs> Therapy is awesome. Um, I only started in January and it's made a world of difference. Um, but those changes did already start to happen before I started seeing my therapist through realizing what my students needed, right? My students needed a space where they could be vulnerable without being judged. My students needed a space where they could move in their way instead of trying to move like I do, you know. They needed a space where they could love their bodies. They needed a space where they could meet people, right? Like burlesque classes is a place where 
um, sometimes the main goal is just to like hang out with other people that are kind of like-minded and laugh and have a really good time and leave those 10 weeks with maybe some really lasting friendships. Um, so that's really important to create a space for that to happen. And so it forced me to look inwards and become become a more understanding person and and become open to having connections with my students that go beyond just telling them how to take off a glove, right? Having a connection with them where we share what sexy moment we had in our week. Um, that's become really important to me as part of the classes that I'm vulnerable with them. That's so cool. And I just want to give you some feedback and tell you that like that vulnerability that you've embraced and are letting your students explore and enabling your students to explore, you know, it really comes through in you and the way that you interact um, on and off stage. It's, it's been like lovely to see you embrace that in your personal life, you know, and uh, you're doing amazing and everyone should go to therapy. Everyone should go to therapy. Yes, it's helped me be a better performer backstage as well, which is a really high stress environment. And I think I'm not the only one who in the past had trouble dealing with that um, space in a in a positive and relaxed way. Um, so it's helped me do that too. But I guess I want to come back to your question about like doing community um, community work with the school. I don't even question it. Like doing doing the garage sale, doing the fundraiser. I don't even question it. First of all, because it makes good sense business wise, right? So like number one is the school and the burlesque community need to be on really good terms and need to be serving each other because they don't exist without each other. We wouldn't have students if all of our graduates weren't telling their friends that it's the place to go um, to learn. So like, I don't even question that, of course, I need to do a fundraiser to make sure that our burlesque venue has new banquettes and that it looks presentable and that the public has a good experience when they go to see a burlesque show, because then they will eventually sign up for my classes. So it's like partially just good business and partially because I love these people. They're pretty fucking awesome. And that's something that I've grown to appreciate more and more uh, recently, too, is that most businesses that you run don't necessarily put you in contact with as many really rad people as uh, running something related to burlesque. Uh, If I had to compare it to my other entrepreneurial choices, I'd probably get to hang out with the coolest people. That's amazing. And yeah, I I was so happy to see that this past weekend you were awarded the uh, Imperial Burlesque Canada Prestige Award, which Imperial Burlesque Canada is a new festival um, that was created to showcase primarily um, Canadian talent. And I was so happy to see you accept that award from your community, you know, which means that the people around you are noticing that you're doing this work and personal and professional and um, you're getting rewarded for the stuff that you're doing for your business, but that is also greatly benefiting the community. I got super emotional on stage. I, <laughs> I was really, really touched by this. Um, I don't think I would have gotten that award a couple of years ago um, when I was feeling really, still really anxious and defensive. And so it was sort of a testament to the to the personal work I've done that that my that the work that the school does can be recognized um, in spite of me, maybe. I also want it to be uh, an institution that exists without me. Like we have at least six or seven different teachers. We have administrators and interns. And so it's not, it's not just me. And so I'm really glad that my personality isn't necessarily 
um, overshadowing the school anymore too. Yeah. And then the, the, I don't know, the award just made me feel all gushy inside. (laughs) (sighs) That's great. I'm really glad that it gave you that happiness. And like, you know, the community work doesn't stop with the fundraiser and, and the um, garage sale. I mean, the mentorship, even, you know, you did that because you wanted to, like, you didn't get anything, any gain out of it financially or business wise, at least for me and sugar, right? It was like a couple hours a week that you were actually just donating that time and giving your knowledge and your expertise. And all you got in return was, you know, I mean, some growth and and definitely it was um, mutually beneficial. But uh, yeah, it just seems like you've continued to do that. And that's what makes like you worthy of that reward. You know, it wasn't just um, the school that got the award. I think it was it was you. It was like the work that you do personally, right? I just want I just want to like say those things to you so that you take ownership of of that uh, milestone and don't say yeah well it's because you know I did it for the business or like oh yeah it's just the school you know it's it's you it's the work that you've done and that's really powerful. Thank you. I'm gonna keep that deep in my panties for the rest of the week. Good. <laughs> You're so nasty. I love it. <laughs> I do want to say a shout out to Bon Bon Bombay. Um, I don't think I would have even considered the idea of of mentorship as a as a free giving thing um, if she hadn't done that for me. Um, so Bomb Bomb Bombay was my mentor and she gave so much of her hours, talent, thoughts um, to helping me grow. So it did feel like I was passing that along as well. That's amazing. I mean, it seems like the right time to talk about your origin story then, how you got started in burlesque, how you became the Lady Josephine. Wow, wow, wow. Well... Uh, my boyfriend at the time in Vancouver was like, hey, there's this really cool thing happening that I think you might like. It's called Kitty Nights at the Biltmore, um, which was a weekly show that Burgundy Bricks was running uh, in Vancouver for a really long time. Uh, so he took me there on a date. I'm pretty sure I didn't even turn my head to look at him the whole time, right? Like, I, w- I remember I wasn't even sitting down. Like, we didn't have great seats. We were in the corner. So I just, like, stood up on an angle the whole time, probably putting my body completely in front of him so he couldn't see. And just, I was totally enthralled. Um, I remember in particular this number from that night. This I don't remember her name, but she had really long uh, red hair and she did sort of a Guinevere um, burlesque act. And I just thought, this is everything that I love about life. Um, I had been missing dance. So I grew up a dancer. Um, My mom put me in ballet because I was pigeon-footed when I was five years old. And then I did all different kinds of dance until I was about 13 years old. Um, So when I saw my first burlesque show, it had been maybe a good like eight years that I hadn't really been dancing and I was looking for a way to move around without it being really serious like without being literally hit by a ruler um, by my ballet teacher right like doing it for fun not um, for technique Um, so I saw that in burlesque I saw positive sexuality and I knew that I was a sensual person and it always really frustrated me. The activist inside of me was really frustrated that I was living in this um, sex negative society. And then I saw a way of being really feminine, like, like exaggeratingly feminine without sacrificing feminism. Uh, so I was in this community at 
university where we all wore ripped black jeans. I was a bike mechanic. I was doing my degree in environmental studies. I was never clean. I was always at a protest. I was like (laughs) writing papers on fighting the man. And like, so the last thing that was cool in my community was like spending two hours doing your hair and makeup, right? That was not cool at all. And so I thought, well, maybe my community will accept this way of me being hyper feminine because it's clearly political and um, highly performative. Um, Turns out they really didn't get it. Uh, (laughs) They were still, they were a little judgmental and like, you know, I was too femme to go to the to the lesbian parties at that time. And luckily, I think the queer community has become a bit more accepting maybe since this, like, this is like 10 years ago now, 10, 12 years ago. But at the time, it was sort of a narrow, um, there was like a narrow way to be a feminist, right? Or at least in my community, there was. So I dove into burlesque because it seemed to satisfy all of these needs. I took classes wherever I could. I took classes first at Harvard Dance in Vancouver, which of course wasn't actually burlesque, but was cabaret dance, like high kicking and pussycat dolls. Uh, and then I came back to Montreal and I took classes with Mademoiselle Wee Wee Encore. I performed for like my first two years with Blue Light Burlesque, where we were doing classic um, retro tees. So that's how I first started. I was a, you know, housewife, pin up, how do you like your eggs in the morning? And then I slowly devolved into like weird performance art and she kicked me off the stage (laughs) when I, I think I did an act where I was dressed as a bird with a beak in a tire around my shoulders that I had made to look like a nest and then I was a cannibalistic bird that like cooked its lover and smeared the cooked chicken on my naked body at the end and so she kicked me out of the like classic cholesterol. I just want to pause right there and say that um, I didn't know about any of this when I first met you you were just this intimidatingly beautiful tall glamazon like badass performer and when I heard about this chicken eating a chicken act my mind was blown like I think you need to revive it or at least dig up that video if there is one <laughs> because that sounds amazing oh my gosh it was big like I invested so much into that too I rented the Rialto theater which is this giant beautiful theater and had my partner at the time who was a film director like bring a crew to film this chicken eating a chicken act and they were all so weirded out but I took myself so seriously I love that so much I mean yeah it was like a silly idea and we laugh about it now but like you had the dream and the idea and you went balls to the walls like no holds barred you know you did the dang thing and that's something that you continue to do with your work right everything is just all the details you know you go as far as you can there's never any I can't do that there's like a how can I do that like why not you know yeah I'm so for that I never want to place limits on what's possible and yet I'm also always the most critical of like how are you going to actually make that a reality but I think I get really nitty-gritty and like no but how are you actually going to make that happen because I want it to actually happen you know instead of people being walking away from a session with me or or a conversation being like yeah and then I'm going to my dress is going to dissolve 
around me like it there was acid just pouring on it right instead of me just saying that's fucking amazing you should do that i'm the first one to say like okay but how how are we going to make like what are the materials where are you going to hide the liquid is that safe to leave on stage probably not um you know so some people take it as discouraging because it sounds like i'm trying to get them to not do the thing but i'm actually trying to make it possible in a real way um and that's how i treat all of my own ideas right like it's, it's really crazy. How can we actually make it happen? Yeah. And, and you do it, you make it happen. I mean, if anybody listening is not familiar with Josephine's work, I highly recommend you visit her very polished website um, and check out these videos because you really intentionally and completely create a mood, a setting, a scene. And um, all of the small details, you know, I've been blessed to see your process and, and watch you kind of agonize over each of these small details, but you do it so successfully. And I know that you've used those skills to art direct circus shows. Um, you have a regular gig at Montreal's Club La Voute that requires you to create a new performance fantasy uh, every time. Um, it's really interesting to see like how that obsession with making the dream happen and, um, you know, going no holds barred really works for you. Yeah. Um, and then it does get easier with time, right? It really does. You can learn how to make dreams more of a reality or how to make impactful moments. Like there are rules to this shit, right? And it's really nice with, with 10 years of experience working as a director, working at Levwood, where I'm, I'm creating my own shows. You can you learn how to make things that seem impossible to the audience really easily. Right. So like, oh, explosions are really effective. I have a list of, you know, four different ways that I know how to make things explode. Uh, you know, liquids, change of height, you know, change of lighting, dramatic uh, color change of your costume, um, wind, smoke, flowing fabric. Like you learn how to use these tools um, to create magic. Um, whereas when you're first starting, I think you see performances that are using those tools and you're like, whoa, like, how do they make that happen? That's like totally out of this world. But it is something you can learn and get good at. <laughs> I'm just thinking about all of the amazing magical things that we can do um, when we accept that the sky is the limit and that it just takes a little bit of elbow grease to figure that shit out. You know, I love I love the periods of creation when you're like in this trial and error moment and you buy like 10 yards of like rubber piping and like a giant fan you know and like three different colors of duct tape and you're like let's see what happens yeah and you are so good at that stage of creation as well right like not being afraid to get dirty and try things. Um, yeah, I love to spend $100 at the hardware store. Right? And then know that you're probably not going to be able to use any of it in the actual final version of the performance, but that it's part of research and development, right? And I have, I have this obsession with bringing burlesque to a level that is similar to like big circus or big opera or big dance, right? In terms of production value and polish. Part of those systems is research and development over months with like, um, you know, so today does like three to five 
versions of each costume and each prop before it, they actually have the one that works um, for the dancer or the acrobat and what they need to do, right? So you start to learn that that's really normal. And I like to tell that to people when they get their, their costume from the costume room, they're like, well, it doesn't work how I wanted it to. I'm like, if it was perfect the first time you got your costume, it would be a fucking miracle. Right? <laughs> like, that never happens. And yet we have this expectation in burlesque that our budget is really only for one version of the thing. And then we've created the act and that's how it stays. But I guess I just like to approach it uh, in a different way where it, it needs to continuously um, improve and evolve until it hopefully does reach a pretty peak place. Um, usually for me after like three years. <laughs> I, I relate to that three year timeline. I feel like you start something and it doesn't even become anything until at least a year in. Like how many how many versions of a costume has Gatsby's Dream gone through, for example? Oh my gosh. Um, Gatsby's Dream is one of those ones that I haven't changed. Oh my gosh, yes I have. Yeah, I haven't changed the bases of any of the costume pieces, but I've added onto it continuously for years and years and years. Lady in White is my other classic um, act, and I've changed every piece of that costume in the last six years, probably twice. It went from Lady in White, now it's Lady in Orange and Red. Yay! <laughs> That's so amazing. And it's so nice to like talk about this and like see these people who are performing at this level that is so inspiring and seems so untouchable and be like, how did she do that? And realize she's doing it the same way that you are, which is like trial and error, trying a thousand times, long sleepless nights of rhinestoning, crying when it's you've rhinestoned it too much that it doesn't fit on you anymore. Like oh, all of these things that we all go through. You. Like, oh, it's so heavy with jewels. It's beautiful. Oh, it fell on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like we don't know that we're going to be whipping this thing across the stage. So we sew it on using like, you know, hairs from our head. Like we do bonkers things in the name of trying to make things work. And I love that so much. And I want to, I want to make a little note here on, um, then what happens once you've actually found the best way for a thing to work, is it yours? Um, so something that we talked, we had an interaction about really recently. I made a cane that smokes for uh, Naked City. And it took me, yeah, exactly three uh, models to come up with something that worked. And for the final version, I worked with a prop builder, a metal worker, uh, an electrical engineer, and uh, decorated it myself and worked with a costumer. So um, now it's like this amazing um, prop and you and other people have asked me like how does that work like I want to make a smoke effect as well and I'm so happy to share it and I just wanted to say that publicly so that maybe other people if they want if they feel comfortable can share the knowledge that they've built with the community as well because nobody's going to be able to make Naked City I don't think anyone's going to like decide to put an owl on a cane that smokes like that's a pretty specific thing so if they want to use the way that i decided to deconstruct a vape to create a safe um, smoke effect on stage all that's going to do is bring us closer to having burlesque be at this higher production value point where it's just like really amazing and it really captivates uh mainstream audiences as well as um burlesque festivals and smaller shows you know so I, I just like sharing once you've figured things out. Yeah, I think that's super <laughs> rad. And I've seen you do that. You know, I love I love when people get excited about something they've created and then they just won't shut up about it. And now everybody can do it. 
I, I really respect that willingness to contribute to our shared goal. Um, because we do have a shared goal, which is, as you said, to, you know, make burlesque even bigger, more effective and, um, have a wider, broader reach. Um, who else like do you look up to that you see you know really furthering the art making it um bigger more exciting and more on that search soleil level ah so hard so many people okay who's bringing it to the next level okay i mean i'm just gonna say straight off the bat in terms of production value dita Vontes. i think she's a wonderful spokesperson for the art of burlesque i find she's incredibly eloquent in interviews and how she talks about her work um and i've seen i've gotten to perform with her once and i've seen her shows and it's so inspiring to see her invest and she recently did an interview uh with 21st century burlesque where you get to see her say straight up you know and I had my suspicions that it was the case like it's really hard to make money with this show like don't think that I'm rolling around in it I think she's making her money on you know products and and the other parts of her business um but the show itself like she invests so much into that to make this incredible spectacle and she doesn't have to you know she does it because that's her passion and I find that super inspiring I'm not saying that all of her work is not problematic um <laughs> but I think the level the 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 level of production value that she puts into it um really inspires me just that um and then the subject matter of the act is sort of a, another thing other people that are inspiring oh my goodness I, I is it terrible to say like I get more inspired by um shows outside of burlesque than I do in burlesque maybe it's because I've seen so much of it um or because I just want to see new things that um, that I can bring into the art form. But um, what really inspires me is like going to see O, which is the permanent um, show by Silsede in Las Vegas. That show is mind-blowing, you know? Like, why can't Burlesque have a water page show, right? Yeah. Stri- under- underwater, above water, flying striptease? Yes, please. Sign me up. Please? <laughs> Full person on fire striptease? Yes, please. Like, that could really happen. That could happen. You could have an act where the person was, like, fully on fire and their clothes, like, burned off of them. It's possible. Yeah. You know? I'm, sh- I'm sure there's so many venues that would book that act, you know, without a second thought. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that brings me to an interesting thing. Like, you have this act, Miss um, King Crimson, that is so stunning i won't even try to describe it because i can't but it has this massive prop and i remember when you were starting to create this thing you know i mean how do you deal with or justify um investing so much in something that you can't really do anywhere like where have you done that and 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 uh what are your visions for that I've done it more than I thought I would, surprisingly. So I had really low expectations for how often I would be able to do it um, because it is like a five foot by five foot giant dome that you need a moving truck to transport. But, I mean, it went really well for the debut, and so I got to bring it to Toronto um, for the Burlesque Festival there. And I've done it for 
quite a few private events, actually. Um, you know, there's more there's more money and resources in the private sector. So like a makeup company and a media company, and they don't mind at all paying for, for a truck to bring this giant thing because it's going to have a really big effect at their event. Um, so I've been able to do it more than I thought. And it's kind of encouraging if you're willing to take out a line of credit, then you will... <laughs> If you do a good enough job, you'll probably at least be able to reimburse yourself. Um, but you do need to make that initial investment. And that's really hard for a lot of people, you know. I was really lucky that I came out of school without any student loans. And I don't know where I would be if that wasn't the case. So I've always been able to to pay for my burlesque and, and slowly build um, from zero. But at least I started from zero, you know. Um, I didn't have any debts. So that was that was a really, really... Um, fun thing, but I don't know. I I kind of come back to the, like the you could die tomorrow, right? So I have to encourage my mentees to maybe be really financially unsound and just like invest in it because if you do a really good job, it will come back to you. But if you're always just being like, well, don't really have that much money right now, or my gigs only pay me like fifty or hundred bucks, how can I justify getting? a costume or a concept that I really want, then you're never going to get paid more. You know, the only reason that I get paid more now is because I took a lot of risks. So I think that's part of the burlesque game is like jumping off the cliff. Yeah, it can definitely feel like a pay to play game, uh, especially in the beginning, when you know, you are creating things from scratch, you have to compete in your local market. And if you are trying to go to festivals, you're paying out of pocket, like, sometimes exorbitantly high prices. I mean, how do you deal with that with your students? Like, how do you kind of try to give them the joy of burlesque and of creation without there being this like, you know, necessary expenditure minimum, right? That's so real. Um, that's super real. But uh, I try to tell them just my own personal experience, right? I mean, I didn't start out building a, a giant dress, right? I started out, uh, again, being a chicken inside of a bike <laughs> that looked like a nest. Um, and... Um, you know, what was effective, I'm going to come back to the chicken, what was effective about that performance wasn't that it was um, expensive, but that I was audacious enough to rub a cooked chicken on my naked body um, while doing your chicken moves and wearing a beak, you know? So that didn't cost money, but it was jumping off a cliff in a certain kind of way. Right. So even if it's not money, like you got to you, you got to go for it. Playing it safe is not going to get you very far. So if you don't have money, then I would say that there's other ways that you can be really committed and create really interesting work. Right. Um, and we make the best work when we have constraints. Right. Like when I was mm -hmm. um, directing the Circus and Burlesque show with Silkantik, the best ideas came out of constraints, right? And that's always the case. Uh, you have people with only certain talents, right? And you need to do a burlesque number. Doing a burlesque number with circus artists is fascinating. They come up with shit I've never thought of, you know? And it's more interesting. So I think it's an advantage to have constraints. I really do. At the same time, anything is possible. Like I'm thinking of Miami Minx, right? He 
just won one of the top three at Imperial um, Burlesque Competition. He has incredible feather fans in his new act from Fancy Feather that cost him an arm and a leg, but he did not start there. He started just being incredibly charismatic on stage and um, going to festivals, paying his way, right? Like, like I did too. I didn't have an apartment for a year while I just like went to burlesque festivals and tried to learn with the people who seemed to know more than me. So it, it's just sort of a crazy commitment to what you love so that eventually you're getting enough regular bookings like Miami um, based on his talent that you can buy those feather fans. Yeah. Big shout out to Miami Minx. I remember his debut uh, watching him slice a Portuguese sausage on stage and I'll never forget it. You know, he never looked back from that sausage slicing moment. And I'm so thankful. Um, Everybody go check out his work. And now he's slicing his sausage all over the world. Oh, slicing it. (laughs) That's so rad. You know, I mean, speaking of like jumping headfirst off of the cliff, I just want to hear a little bit about your new studio. Um, So Josephine is recording with us from her brand new studio space, the new home of Arabesque Burlesque, which operated out of our uh, local Montreal bar, The Wiggle Room, for many years before she took the leap and signed a lease on this commercial space. Yes. How is it going? Um... It's going really well. Every day I have a little moment where I'm like, WTF, I can't believe this. I am adulting so hard Um, because we never really grow up, right? So I'm 33 um, and I'm doing something that I know nothing about, which I feel like is the case for, for every important thing we do in our life, right? I would have told myself like, oh, you can't just sign a commercial lease and take out a loan from the bank and renovate a space. You don't know anything about any of those things. And then you realize that nobody knows anything about those things. They just do it the first time and they figure it out. Um, And then you go from there. I'm just figuring it out. And so far, so good. You know, we're going to have our open house tonight. It's going to be a total construction zone. But at the same time, we have a thousand square feet with mirrors up and at least one light. So it's um, more space than we had at the at the burlesque cabaret. And I just feel like our students hopefully will be really interested in um, the process and the transformation of the space uh, and won't expect it to be perfectly ready quite yet. Um, I'm hoping they'll just get on board with my dream, basically. Yeah, yeah, I think that they will. Um, you know, I mean, you're getting on board with their dream by giving them a space to be free and empowered and naked and silly and vulnerable and fun. So hopefully, you know, they're on board with your dream, which is to spread that. Yes, uh, I really am having all kinds of visions for this space being a place for people to gather, being a place where people meet and have little revelations and especially touch themselves. I want so many people to touch themselves in this space. (laughs) 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 I might need like confessional boots or something. That's hot. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Confessional booth, yeah. I also want the doorway to be a giant pussy that you walk through and that you touch the clitoris just above your head as you enter the studio. Mm, like kind of like a mistletoe or like a, you uh, know, like a like the Jewish um, thing over the door that's like good energy <laughs> only here. Yeah, kind of a pussy religion. Oh, pussy religion. I love that. <laughs> yes. I really love that. 
Yeah, it's so exciting. We're going to, in the future, have residencies for people. You can come and live there and create. Um, we're going to have, hopefully, the best teachers in burlesque from all over the world come and teach with us. Um, I have big dreams. Like, I want the academy to become kind of a global center, um, not only for students, but hopefully one day for teachers to come and train. So a place where people who want to start a school in their local um, area can come and learn how to teach burlesque um, with other people that have more experience. So that's a long-term goal. I love that. Lady Josephine, a chicken with big dreams. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) And this goes back to the mentorship thing. Um, I remember the day that Sugar and I broke up with you. Um, and how hard and emotional that was when we were like, so, um, we, uh, we are gonna, um, so (laughs) we're gonna leave the nest and, and fly away and do our own thing. And that was, um, a really, really sad day for everyone. Uh, It was, you know, it was just, it was hard to do. And what's it like for you seeing your mentees kind of leave the nest, forge their own way and be successful? Like, what was it like for you to watch me compete for queen on the Beehive stage? Oh my God, what was it like? Oh, it was wonderful. Uh, it was so good to watch you compete. Um, I mean, my heart was pounding. I just felt like I was there with you. Um, and gosh, it also felt a lot easier because I can see Behoth maybe in a different light now than I used to, and I'm able to not take it too seriously which hopefully I was able to impart on you as well because I think that helps when you're on stage um so I also wasn't like dying inside right I was like she's gonna do a good job it's gonna be great you know like there was I wasn't um freaking out about it either right um so it was just a pleasure just a pleasure to see you do that act especially because you had some of the feathers uh on your neck piece for the peacock act where um you were wearing part of a jacket that my mom bought in Paris when she was in her early 20s that had all of these beautiful black cock feathers on it that I gifted to you. And you gave me this cape that was made out of cashmere that I use in Gatsby's Dream that I performed on the Behoff stage with as well. That's and so, right. Yeah. I felt like there was just a little piece of me up there with you and it was all multi-generational and cute and shit. There and, was. Yeah. I remembered when we traded those garments <laughs> and, and you're right. It's those same feathers that are all over that costume. That's so beautiful. It's really, really cute. And seeing people go out into the world and do amazing things um, gives me all the feelings. I, again, therapy helps a lot. So I'm totally over any ideas of feeling competitive with my mentees. I'm totally over the ideas I had of being a mother to you and sugar. So that's why breaking up was so hard, right? Um, I've, figured out how to play that role a lot better, I think, in a lot um, healthier way. So seeing people go and achieve really amazing things just brings me a lot of joy. Yeah, I love it. 
That's rad. I'm I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you so much, Josephine. This has been such a pleasure, as well as a trip down memory lane. Um, I am so inspired by you, and I hope that everyone who listens to this uh, feels empowered to be their own chicken with big dreams. Um, <laughs> I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about what you're doing uh, now and where people can find you on the internet. Yes, I am running like a chicken without a head around Montreal, getting arabesque burlesque, which is my academy, uh, ready for the fall session. Um, If you want to come and take classes with us anywhere in the world, we are going to be starting uh, more intensive workshops for people who come and visit um, from out of town. So please follow us on Instagram or find our website arabesque burlesque um you can find my work theladyjosephine.com i have a portfolio you can look at all my little panties you can um check out what else what other goodies do i have i have magnets you want a magnet get yourself a josephine magnet it'll be great um yeah send me a note do Uh, online coaching with me. Uh, I work with people now from all over the world. Um, I did business coaching with Holly Mae Johnson and she helped me uh, set up online coaching. So now I can bring all of this knowledge to people around the globe and so we can do that virtually. Um, Get in touch if you want to work with me. Say hi, whatever you like. That is such a great idea. I highly recommend you do Josephine's online coaching. It is so comprehensive, so lovely. Thank you again, Josephine. I love you so much. And this has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks and sparkles. Signing off. This is Aria De La Noche for Show My Mores, The Pasty Tapes. Thank you again, Aria and the Lady Josephine. I have some postscript notes to include from Josephine about this episode. She's still serving as a mentor out in Montreal. She mentioned earlier in this episode that she is mentoring Talia De La Crema. Talia Della Crema has since permanently changed her stage name to Butterscotch Blondie. Josephine also wants to give a shout out to Aria and Sugar Vixen, her first mentees. Josephine notes that Aria is making work that inspires her endlessly, and Aria recently won a crown in New Orleans for a truly fierce and innovative number. Sugar Vixen is winning awards on multiple continents and is a star teacher at her academy. Speaking of the academy, Arabesque Burlesque Studio is open and is getting cuter every day. They are running more than 14 classes every week. To follow the Academy and learn more, visit Arabesque Burlesque on Instagram, and I'll link all of this information in the show notes below. I want to give Josephine a major shout out. When I saw her perform at Behoff, she had a smoking staff, and I saw that and I was dying to know how it was put together because I've been trying to figure out how to get like a smoky, steamy kind of look for my dumpling number. Later, when Aria and I were debriefing our Behoff experiences, I asked Aria if she thinks that Josephine would share how this was put together. And then within minutes, I was reading a long text from Josephine about how, you know, how it came to be. Like, she really shared her work. She did the work, did the research, and she was willing to share it. And that was really generous of her. I was really inspired by her generosity and her willing to share this innovation that she discovered. So I am forever grateful to Josephine for sharing this information, being willing to teach things that she's come up with or figured out or invested in. And now because of Josephine and her influence, my dumpling basket steams. So that's cool. Thanks again, Josephine. 
You can catch the Lady Josephine headlining the Vancouver International Burlesque Festival April 1 through 4. You can also catch me, Aria, and Sugar there as well performing in the festival. I'm so excited to see you, Vancouver. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pacey Tapes. If there's something you're dying to know that wasn't asked or have feedback or want to sponsor an episode of the Pacey Tapes, shoot me an email at thepaceytapes at gmail.com. Special thanks to the members of the Pacey Tapes fan club. To join the fan club, visit thepaceytapes.com and sign up now. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, and you can find me at Show My More across the internet. Thank you again so much for listening to this episode, and I will talk to you soon. You have been listening to the Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. This is Blanche Debris saying thanks for listening, and see you later, ducklings.